it is a dark time for nerdum. Release dates for content are on the verge of being pushed back. Two nerds unite in their love for Star Wars once more to fight against the dreaded darkness. But are they too late to answer the call? Our nerds must rise together no matter what. To be the spark of hope. To entertain the masses. Mandalorians are stronger together. To celebrate a new generation of Star Wars. Anakin is gone. I am what remains. The nerds must strike back. Nerds, this will be your finest hour. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. And welcome to Volume 2 of Star Wars Month. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, happy Star Wars Day and welcome to Star Wars Month, Volume 2, The Nerd Strike Back. It's been three long years since our last Star Wars Month where we celebrated everything Star Wars on the show with weekly countdowns and reviews. So much time has actually passed that we thought it was about time we revisited our favorite galaxy far, far away, especially since we've had a plethora of new content thanks to Disney Plus to talk about. A couple episodes ago, you probably heard us kicking around the idea of, you know, redoing our last Star Wars month countdowns to see if there has been any big changes for us, but we decided, you know, better of it and chose to do new lists centered around the Disney Plus era of Star Wars and more. So this week we will be counting down our top Star Wars Disney plus moments so far but hey not a star wars fan that's okay because our regular scheduled format isn't changing this month at all so check the timestamps if you're here for the latest news and reviews or video game and wrestling talk and if today's episode isn't enough for you don't forget you can get even more amazing nerd show content on patreon by subscribing to our five dollar tier doing so you'll gain access to our best and worst of the week show though if you'd like even more than that additional bonus podcasts will be available for our ten dollar tier that includes all of the other tiers benefits as well that's right christian we have over 20 best and the worst of the week episodes up and we also have better late than never reviews for things like season two of the Bad Batch, uh, Megan, and Men, along with anime reviews. You can find our Patreon link in our show notes or simply type in patreon.com slash amazingnerdshow. But all right, with that said, let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Warning, potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned. Alright, up first, we've got some big rumors for the MCU's upcoming Fantastic Four film. According to the direct known scooper My Time to Shine Hello on Twitter posted that in the Fantastic Four film, we would be seeing Terex as Galactus's Herald instead of Silver Surfer, with Alex Perez of the Cosmic Circus adding to those claims that Terex would be one of the Heralds, insinuating that Galactus may have a few for the Fantastic Four to fight. Terex the Tamer first debuted in Marvel Comics in 1979's Fantastic Four 211 when he became a Herald for Galactus. Who else could be a herald is unclear, but it seems they may in fact save Silver Surfer's story for outside the Fantastic Four film, as it's believed a Silver Surfer project is coming to Disney Plus ahead of the film in 2024. Yeah, I could see it similar to like Thanos's like Black Order, where you know Galactus has multiple heralds. Um, you know, maybe we'll get like Fire Lord. I don't know, like the Silver Surfer's you know redemption storyline is probably the most interesting way to like debut Galactus. Um, so 
I don't think they're going to wait that long. I feel like Surfer's probably in the film, and he ends up helping bring Galactus down, you know, by the end of the film. I just feel like at this point, if there's smoke, there's fire, and we've heard just too many rumors revolving around Silver Surfer for him yeah. not, like, to be debuting sooner than later. But like you said, like, I, I could definitely see it being a case where the first time we meet Surfer is, you know, in an epilogue series, you know, before the Fantastic Four. Um, you know, that was the big rumor for a while. And it would make sense since they've just got so much story for one film to really tell. On top of that, industry insider Daniel Richmond claimed that Marvel has offered the role of Sue Storm to Margot Robbie, who is best known for her portrayal over in DC as Harley Quinn, but is also an Academy Award nominated actress, of course. No word on if she accepted the role, but that would be pretty crazy to have her play two major comic book characters from different brands, along with the fact that she would be a great choice for Sue anyway. Fantastic Four is currently slated for February 14th, 2025. Man, of late, we've had a lot of casting rumors. You know, it's like almost like a weekly thing at this point. So I wouldn't be surprised if there isn't like some big announcement on the horizon. Um, I agree. I feel like, you know, Margot Robbie is a, a great fit for Sue Storm. She's mm -hmm. a hell of an actress. Absolutely. I think a lot of people forget that, you know, since she's been playing, you know, Harley you know, for a handful of years now, um, you know, but she would kill it, you know, as Sue. So I'm totally on board with that pick. Um, Mila Kunis was in the news. Uh, there was rumors swirling around that she could be possibly playing Sue also. Um, she's debunked those rumors, but she did tease that she already knows who's been casted as, you know, the Fantastic Four. So once again, oh, okay. I do feel like there's probably some sort of announcement coming soon. I will say, like, I'm kind of surprised that they're going with, you know, actors in their, like, 30s for these roles. I kind of assumed that they were going to go younger with the Fantastic Four since they didn't cast John Krasinski as, you know, the MCU's, you know, version of the character. Um, you know, I, I kind of assumed that was, you know, the reason why. Like, they wanted to go younger with the family. But... Honestly, with the talented, you know, actors that are all rumored for the roles, it is what it is. And I think I talked about this on the show before. I feel like they want to go with the older ones just so that they can do the kids as well. Like, I feel like they want to start with the family, which I know we want to see them becoming the team well, first. In, but in fairness to Krasinski is probably in his 40s. So he is probably, uh -huh. you know, a good amount older than Driver and Robbie. But I yeah. could be wrong. <laughs> um, so, I mean... Yeah, 30s is fine. And honestly, like you tell me Robbie and Driver are in their late 20s and I would probably believe you. I mean, there's plenty of people who wait to their mid 30s or late 30s to have families. So it's not so much the family aspect. It was just kind of like aging out of the characters eventually. Since we know like if you sign on to these Marvel roles, you're in it for the long haul. But anyway, moving on, we also have some Deadpool 3 casting news. Looks like more Deadpool alums will be a part of the third installment as Deadline reports Rob Delaney is back to play the titular role of Peter from Deadpool 2, where he was one of Deadpool's X-Force team members, except, you know, he wasn't a mutant. And that did not work out too well for him until, you know, the timeline got shifted, of course. But anyway, the film is set to release November 8th, 2024. Uh, Peter was one of my favorite parts of Deadpool 2, so I'm happy to see 
him back. Um, uh, and I'm sure it's going to be a whole lot. Of oh, I hope we get a variant of him with powers, like just <laughs> just for it. Um, I kind of like him as just a dude. I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think that's the charm of the character, right? I mean, what's more heroic than, you know, some average guy with a dad bod going up against immense evil? David, don't jump out of any you know helicopters, OK? <laughs> First of all, how dare you? Um, but second of all, like sometimes the world needs a hero, Christian, so you can't stop me. <laughs> I mean, at least I'm a dad with a dad bot. I mean, what's your excuse? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> now that we're done with the fat shaming portion of the show, let's move on. Uh-huh. <laughs> We also got a casting rumor for Marvel's Wonder Man. This time, industry insider Jeff Snyder claims Josh Gad of Frozen and Beauty and the Beast fame will star in the film alongside star Yaha Abdul-Mateen II and others. No word on who they may be playing just yet, as most details about this project are still under wraps. But anyway, up next, we've got an update on Taika Waititi's I'll Believe It When I See It Star Wars film. With Taika on to direct multiple projects in the next few years, the question of when he may begin on his you know, Star Wars film came up in which Deadline reports this week that Lucasfilm is hoping to get Taika started filming next year to maybe get the film out you know, in 2025 or 2026. Taika himself has alluded to starting on it after working on the Akira live action film, but there's been you know, no official word on when I Either project will begin. Like I said up front, does anyone truly believe this film is going to happen? Like, <laughs> I think it might happen someday. Every week, I'm just waiting for this thing to get canceled. Like every time I see uh-huh. his name attached to Star Wars in the headline, I'm like, oh, it's it's over with. It's not happening. But it's it's like always a story like this. So I'll believe it when I see it. Like, cause he's got a whole other film he's got to film at this point, right? You know, before yes. you know Star Wars. So yeah, okay. This is at least, if it's going to happen, it's at least five or six years off, I feel like. I mean, the dude has apparently got seven projects that he's attached to right now. So I don't know (laughs) when the Star Wars film would be happening. Exactly. Exactly. Also, while we're talking Star Wars, did you see the uh, Damon Lindoff story? Um, I I saw the article. I didn't read it. So apparently he was actually asked to leave the the Ray project. I guess his version of the film would center around a much older Ray training two young Jedi um, with like a Helen Mirren type actress as like the template for casting, you know, the role. Um, I think Damon Lindelf is a fantastic creator. I mean, look what he did with the Watchmen series, but I just feel like that idea is the shits, man. Like, I I don't want (laughs) to see that. So I'm glad that they asked him to leave, honestly, Uh, just because I feel like Daisy Ridley's not done with the character either. Um, I don't know. At the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if Disney had asked, you know, in in case Daisy really didn't want to come back to the role for any reason, you know, hey, make make a story about an older version of Rey. Yeah, I mean, maybe they were trying to plan around Daisy not wanting to come back, but Mm -hmm. I feel like she's hinted plenty in interviews that she was willing to return to the role. So I don't I don't know why they would assume that unless, you know, there's something that we don't know. Well, moving on to someone who definitely does not have a dad bod, it sounds like the Mortal Kombat sequel has found their Johnny Cage. The sequel to 2021's Mortal Kombat film is looking to add star power by bringing in the action movie hero Johnny Cage into the story. And with this being alluded to in the first film, many people on Twitter back then were begging for them to cast The Miz. But I'm happy to say a report from The Wrap claims that 
Carl Urban, hit star from the boys and films like Lord of the Rings and Dread 3D, is in final talks to play Johnny Cage. While I wasn't a big fan of the direction the first film went, I gotta say Carl Urban as Johnny Cage has definitely gotten me interested in this next film. Todd Garner, a producer on the film, also shared this story, which pretty much confirmed that that's who they were going for. The film currently does not have a release date just yet. I mean, The Miz can barely wrestle. Like, we think he could handle, like, complex fucking <laughs> fight sequences in this film. Like, I know they have all the CGI in the world, but, I mean, there's not enough CGI that can cover up that bullshit, Christian. Stunt actors and such. I don't know. I wasn't for The Miz, so it's not it's not me Whatever. anyway. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I'm definitely glad they went a different direction. Um, uh -huh. Carl Urban is a fantastic actor. Um, I don't necessarily see him as Johnny Cage, but, I mean, that just might be because of his current role in The Boys. Because I know he has plenty of range to pull off the character. So, um, I just hope that the script doesn't suck. Because, man, the last Mortal Kombat film was pretty awful. I mean, I'm just surprised that they're not just altogether rebooting the franchise once again. And, you know, trying to make us forget all about the last film. I mean, I agree. I can't fully picture him as Johnny Cage. Because he would have probably been a perfect Kano. Oh, but at, at, yes, he would. You're right. <laughs> yes, he would have been perfect for Kano. But um, Josh Lawson in the first film, that was the best part of that whole movie was his performance as Kano. Everything else was yeah, garbage. Yeah, that's true. So, that's true. Like he made the most of his screen time. <laughs> uh huh. But yeah, like who was the fucking who was the uh, main character? Do you remember his name? Ah, the fuck is his name? Like they have this like insane cast of characters to choose from and they decide to like invent their own character you know to be the main character of the film just the audacity of these fucking writers yes. cole young uh which I, he didn't even have a just had random fucking yeah, abilities it was just some dude right yes <laughs> with tons of plot armor uh man I don't know. I don't know why they yeah, did that. Yeah, he, he kind of had, like, uh, Darwin's uh, powers from the X-Men, where his, like, powers would just kind of, like, evolve for whatever situation he was in. Um, I mean, just the absolute definition of plot armor. Also, I want to state before we move on, while a lot of these projects we have been talking about have set release dates, there will most likely be huge changes with the Writers Guild strike going on. We're already getting reports from Variety and others on projects like Blades being stalled due to the strike. Um, though Hollywood Reporter claims Disney is still trying to move forward with the Thunderbolts and Deadpool 3, but you can bet that any production being you know filmed right now or in the near future will most likely be delayed. Disney is apparently hoping that the strike will be over before their projects need to begin, but I wouldn't put my money on that at all. Well, last but not least, it looks like the upcoming Alien TV series has found its lead actor. THR this week gave an update on the Alien TV show coming to FX. The series has gotten its first star in Sydney Chandler, who played a role in the recent film Don't Worry Darling. Besides the show, you know, potentially being set on Earth, not much is really known about it. Uh, we do know that Noah Hawley of Fargo fame is set to direct the series, but there currently isn't a release date set I'll for. be curious to see if this series has any connection to uh, Fede Alvarez's uh, upcoming Alien film. Um, I doubt it, though. It sounds like they're both gonna kind of just exist on their own yeah i don't think there's gonna be any ties between the two but i mean both are pretty much claiming the same type of thing they're doing their own thing with no connections to any other characters we've seen before so you know, hopefully it's something that builds into something good well i mean here's to hoping because they definitely need someone to breathe new life into the franchise 
And now for the nerds top 5 Star Wars moments on Disney+. Alright Christian, so before we get started, the whole reason why we're doing this countdown is because over the past three years, you know, since our last Star Wars month uh, and all of our countdowns, there's just been so much content released on Disney Plus that we, we thought it was worth it to take a look back and rank some of our favorite things from the franchise on the streaming service. Also, before we get into our picks, uh, the rules for this countdown is we're only ranking moments from shows that premiered on Disney+. Plus. But anyway, let's go ahead and start things off with some quick honorable mentions. Uh, these are just awesome moments that didn't quite make, you know, our countdowns. I have Boba Fett Rides a Rancor uh, from the Book of Boba Fett. I've got Marva's uh, funeral speech from Andor. And I've got Ahsoka's live action debut from uh, Mando Season 2. With how often you talk about the Rancor ride, I'm surprised that's not your number one on your but list. But that tells you how many great moments whatever. that we've had, right? Because, yes. I mean, there's nothing more <laughs> fucking metal than Boba Fett on a Rancor, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, there's just so many great moments that it just didn't make my top five. Um, for my honorable mentions, I got the arrival of the Sabersmith in uh, episode five of Star Wars Visions. That's uh, the ninth Jedi. And then um, Doku. <laughs> the Sabersmith, you said? Yes. Okay. Well, that's that's definitely your Akbar the whole... pick for, for this Star no, Wars it, month. No, the whole episode is about the um, these Sith trying to find you know someone who makes lightsabers so they can stop. The, you, you know, I mean, the you can explain it all you want, but there's no way that moment outweighs all the other great moments. It was a great moment. Sure, go ahead. Go ahead. It's an I honorable interrupt mention. Again. Go ahead. It's not even on the Whatever. list. <laughs> it, that means it makes your top ten, though. Do I have to explain this list episode? to you every every fucking time we oh do these God. things? I mean, come on. Um, I got Dooku versus Yaddle in uh, episode four of Tales from the uh, Tales of the Jedi. And then I have uh, the jetpack sequence in the Mando finale, which was fucking awesome. Just watching the armor beat the shit out of people. Now that's there. a good pick. Honestly, I I kind of <laughs> want to revise my list now, but I won't. All right. What did make your list? Well, David? at number five, I have Obi-Wan versus Vader from the season finale of the Obi-Wan series. Have you come to destroy me, Obi-Wan? I will do what I must. Um, I just loved Obi-Wan's journey in the series, Back to the Force, and him coming face-to-face -face, literally with his greatest failure in Anakin in the final battle sequence was truly epic. Um, you know, visually, it was a little copy and paste from, you know, the Ahsoka battle with Vader in Rebels, you know, mm -hmm. but I don't care uh, because there's just so much, <laughs> like, poetry in that moment that I just wouldn't change a thing. So that's my number five pick. Uh, for me, I went with Practice Makes Perfect, episode five of uh, Tales of the Jedi. Not bad. It took us five minutes to knock you out that time. I can do better. Um, it was one that really just took me by surprise. I, obviously, Ahsoka's become one of my favorite things about Star Wars at this point. And being able to see this additional moment from the, like, the Clone Wars era with her and Anakin, pretty much Anakin preparing her for, you know, this attack that he doesn't know is coming. They doesn't know it's coming from him, just, basically, right? Yes. <laughs> from Order 66. Saving her from himself. Yeah. It's insane. Oh, it was just so well done. Um, Filoni has such done such a great job telling 
Ahsoka's story throughout all of Star Wars. And that's exactly why I'm so excited that he's actually doing all the writing for her upcoming series. It just makes perfect sense. But anyway, uh, speaking of Ahsoka, uh, that brings us to my number four pick, and that's Ahsoka vs. Maul from episode 10 of the final season of Clone Wars. Your vision is flawed. I see the Padawan needs one last lesson. Uh, just two Ronin samurai locked in one of the most cinematic lightsaber battles of all time. Uh, and it's animated. Uh, Maul and Ahsoka's paths in many ways really like parallel each other. Both feel just abandoned and lost. And, you know, it's just on full display in just how ferocious this duel is. Um, the mm -hmm. last three episodes of Clone Wars is some of the best Star Wars storytelling of all time because of great moments like this one. We're keeping it with Ahsoka here. My number four is Ahsoka and Mando working together um, to attack uh, the Caledon? Caledon town in season two, episode five of The Mandalorian. Sure. <laughs> Your bounty hunter failed. Tell me what I want to know. Where is your master? Kill her. I mean, not only did it, you know, give us a live action representation of what she's capable of, but seeing her work alongside Mando, getting to like in that episode, it's the Jedi. And it's all about, you know, you know, them working together to get to get that Beskar spear pretty much away from whoever's running this town uh, it, it's just so well done and so exciting to see those lightsabers spark up and really just assassinating all these enemies it was it was just eye candy because the cinematography here was well done in a way where all the lighting was like you know catered to her white lightsabers it was so cool to see that no, I mean, I agree 100%. I mean, I had, like, goosebumps this entire episode. I mean, the fact that we were getting a live-action Ahsoka, finally. Uh, and, you know, it's played by a fantastic actress in uh, Rosario Dawson. I feel like really, like, nailed the essence of that character. And to top things off, we get the big reveal that Thrawn is still out there and she's hunting him, directly leading us into the main storyline of her, you know, new show. So for my number three pick, I chose I Can't Swim. Um, from episode 10 of Andor. One way out! One way out! One way out! I mean, the slow burn build to the prison break and to this reveal is a masterclass in storytelling. Uh, Kino is a complicated character which makes his sacrifice even more meaningful. Uh, and it's what makes Andor some of the best Star Wars anything ever made. For my number three, I also have Obi-Wan versus uh, Vader for the uh, season finale of Obi-Wan. You didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. I did. I mean, you said it right. The, the fact that it, you know, kind of copies one of my favorite moments in Star Wars in general, uh, the fight between Ahsoka and Vader just kind of adds to my already love for that moment. Um, and everything with Anakin coming through Vader's mask and, you know, Obi-Wan finally getting that release of, you know, seeing it wasn't necessarily his fault 
for Anakin's failures and everything like that and becoming Vader was a great way to complete his story arc. Well, and like I said, even though it feels very similar to what we got in that battle between Ahsoka and Vader and Rebels, it kind of works as its own thing. You know, and it makes sense, like, in the moments. I mean, the way they played with light and everything and, like, just Obi-Wan, you know, seeing Anakin for the first time in so long. And, and don't forget about that one moment where, you know, Obi-Wan seems like he's down for the count. And then we've got, you know, him levitating all the, the rubble yes. around him and everything. Like, that big, like, you know, dare I say Spider-Man moment, right? <laughs> I mean, we were always told, and I mean, we've seen... Obi-Wan fight before, but this was like him at his yes. best. Like we've never seen him get to this extreme level. Yes. I mean, like I said, it's his journey back to the force. And I just love that the series really tackled an aspect of his story that I never really thought about. The fact that he would be living with so much guilt after everything that happened mm -hmm. in Revenge of the Sith. It just makes sense that he'd be suffering with like PTSD. You know, this child that he was entrusted with get corrupted by the dark side and become like the greatest evil the galaxy's ever seen. Um, th that's enough to fuck anyone up, right? Oh, for my number two pick, I chose Boba Fett is back, baby. Uh, season two of The Mandalorian, chapter 14. Nice shot. I was aiming for the other one. Uh, as a lifelong Boba Fett fan, this was a bit of redemption. While over the years, we had plenty of comics and, you know, different novels contribute into, like, building the legend of Boba Fett in a way that the original trilogy never did, nothing compares to seeing Boba Fett, you know, reunited with his armor and just going full space John Wick on a squad of stormtroopers. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> I loved everything about this moment. The aesthetic of the armor over his robes, making him look like a warrior monk unleashed. It just felt like payoff for 40 years of blind devotion to a character with so very little screen time and an absolutely horrible death sequence. Now, while unfortunately his own series never really captured the glory of this moment, it still doesn't take away the greatness of it for, you know, this longtime fan. I mean, that's been one of the biggest benefits of Disney Plus and all these, you know, them trying to use as much of the Star Wars universe as possible. Now we get to explore all these characters that kind of got these one-off deaths. Yeah, or just shortchanged in general. Exactly. Like one of the most interesting characters from Phantom Menace was Darth Maul, and he just you know, was going to disappear unless Filoni brought him back to life with, you know, armored leg. Which brings me to my number two pick, which is Ahsoka versus Maul um, in episode 10, like you mentioned earlier. Join me. I mean, as you said, this was a perfect culmination of the two stories between these characters throughout all of Clone Wars. And being able to see Maul be utilized this way was awesome. And also getting actually like the stunt actor behind him, Ray Park, to do the actual uh, motion capture in that sequence was a nice touch for them as well. As you mentioned, I mean, the, the ferocity in their fight was just what made it stand out so much amongst most of all of Clone Wars all the sequences and battles that we got throughout that entire show. It just was on another level. That entire season felt like something completely different. It's what I'm kind of hoping um, for the final season of The Bad Batch as well. Well, all right, that brings us to my number one pick, uh, which is the return of Luke Skywalker in the finale 
finale of season two of The Mandalorian. Are you a Jedi? I am. Come, little one. Even though I think we were kind of secretly holding out hope that we might get some kind of, you know, moment or glimpse of Luke in the series, I don't think we really, like, dared to dream it would be in this absolute, like, epic fashion. Um, once Luke's legendary X-Wing showed up on the scene, I was just transformed into my four-year-old self, you know, watching Star <laughs> Wars for the first time. And then to, like, witness him get his very own, like, hallway seat, mirroring his daddy's just hacking, slashing, and, you know, force-crushing dark troopers. Well, I'm not afraid to admit that I might have shed a tear of joy. Um, and, like, one of the best parts was it all made sense in the context of the story. It's just honestly, like, one of my all-time favorite moments ever as a Star Wars fan. And that's why it had to be number one on my list. Like, I seriously jumped off my couch and cheered when he arrived, Christian. And I was alone. Well, I don't think anyone and was, I was alone expecting in my that. And it was like four uh-huh. o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> but it was very much akin to like the same emotions that I had, you know, at the end of, you know, Avengers Endgame. Just like pure nerd joy. I mean, you made a great point there. It wasn't just done for fan service. It actually works with the story and actually matters to Grogu's growth. I mean, the fact that we even got a whole episode with Luke in Book of Boba Fett was insane yeah, no, as well. You're right. A hundred percent. All right. Uh, but for my number one, I have, uh, you know, one way out. The uh, Kino, you know, can't swim moment as well. Andor as a whole was something I wasn't sure I even wanted as a you know Star Wars series. Um, I came into it a little bit more negative than most, just because I didn't care too much about the character. But this, everything that you know built into this, you know Andor trying to you know get out of this prison and how it was built as a show, and even me for me, you know me, I'm not a slow burn guy. I, I need something to happen You're more often. Definitely not a slow burn uh, guy. <laughs> this was just built so well. And I had such an emotional attachment and reaction to Kino at that point that I, I just was so surprised that a Star Wars series was able to produce something like this. Something that we would usually, you know, just expect, you know, big battles and big Star Wars lightsabers fighting everything ever, everywhere. This was something completely different. And I think I respect and love it more because of that. No, I mean, it's a hell of a moment. And I'm really looking forward to see what they have in store for us with, you know, season two of Andor. Speaking of which, I'm not a big fan of the idea of them bringing Kino oh, back. God. Personally, I just feel like it should end there. Oh, God, no. Like, I feel like Andy's circus is like just fucking with us, you know, by even like teasing it in interviews. Because <laughs> that would just, I mean, that would just be awful. But anyway, that does it for our top five Star Wars Disney Plus moments. Um, remember guys, these are just our opinions, you know, I mean, they're not set in stone. I'm sure you have your own and we would love to hear from you. Uh, go ahead and, you know, drop it in the comments. Let us know what are some of your favorite moments, you know, from this Disney plus era of Star Wars. And you know what, if you don't feel comfortable just posting it in the comments, you could DM us, uh, and we'll talk about them on the show. So, you know, let us know because we want to hear from you guys. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped. This is a public service announcement. 
Manscaped now has beard products and is going even further with their brand new Weed Whacker 2.0. Go ahead and tell the world the leaders in below the waist grooming are traveling north of your South Pole with their revolutionary grooming products. The new Weed Whacker 2.0 and their new beard line confirms they have all the best tools for your hygiene toolbox. Time for you to upgrade your game by going to manscaped.com and using our code 20NERDSHOW for 20% off plus free shipping. Listeners know that there's no one I trust more with my nutsack than Manscaped. So why not trust them with my beard also? So allow me to introduce you to the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. It's the ultimate package that makes it easier than ever to craft your signature look. It all starts with the cordless electric Beard Hedger. The Beard Hedger is tough on hair but smooth on your face, leading to single stroke efficiency that brings satisfaction one stroke at a time just like your mother. <laughs> this waterproof cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths, all with one guard, so no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. The Pro Kit also comes with four dermatologist tested formulations for your post-trim care. This includes Manscaped's beard shampoo and conditioner, beard oil, and beard balm to moisturize, style, and shimmer your new beard. Plus the kit has three gifts, a beard brush, a comb, and scissors. So with a nice beard, your face is perfectly groomed, right? Wrong! You need to keep an eye out for those tough-to-trim ear and nose hairs. The brand new Weed Whacker 2.0 offers improved blades and skin-safe technology with virtually no tugging. It's never been so painless to mind your manholes. Now that you have your face looking great, you must try Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0 for the full body grooming experience. Good news though, the Performance Package 4.0 now comes with the Weed Whacker 2.0 and all the other below-the-waist grooming products Manscaped is known for. Your significant other will be delighted to see you covering all bases, if you know what I mean. So listeners, get 20% off and free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and make sure to use our code 20NerdShow. Always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. This past week in gaming, we saw the release of Jedi Survivor. Now, to be honest, I've already done a pretty long rant on Patreon about the games industry, you know, releasing shitty PC ports lately. And you can still hear that on last week's best and worst of the week posts. But to reiterate a, a little, this game did launch with some issues. Luckily for me, it hasn't hindered my game performance to the point that it's unplayable, but there are plenty of frame rate issues that can dull your experience. The main issue I ran into was on the stream side as while the game was running okay on my PC, my stream capture took a dive trying to broadcast it all for you. Now I am hopeful that there will be you know future updates to fix this. I ran into these same issues when trying to stream Battlefront 2 back when it released for PC. So while I do apologize for you know the stream's quality, this is an issue that a lot of people are running into and kind of an accurate depiction of what the game looks like at times when the frames drop. Um, the story of the game however has been very interesting you know diving into the High Republic era to draw out its main plot line on top of showing some connections to series like Obi-Wan explaining what Cal and company were up to during that time period. One of the main complaints about the first game story I had was that the group became you know friends and family way too fast and while this game doesn't necessarily remedy that I feel like the time apart from the first game and their chemistry in general on screen now feels a lot more genuine which is funny to say because where I am in the game they're still not even really hanging out all that much together they're all doing their own 
separate you know tasks right now our newest companion bode has been a welcome addition to the game but i am still kind of convinced he will betray me at some point um for the most part i'm having fun but every once in a while you know i'll be in a boss fight and my frame rate will drop into the single digits and i'll take a walloping because of that that's at least you know one of my excuses for why i die so much but it is an actual issue here and there as far as recommending this to you guys i feel like i would have to say you know, maybe wait six months or four months into winter to hope for, you know, some updates for the game to, you know, put it out better, especially if you're trying to get it on PC. I've heard that, you know, console players are having less issues, but there are still, you know, some slight glitches here and there and stuff like that that are noticeable on the consoles. We've also been hearing this about uh, Redfall as well. They're facing similar video RAM issues, which just is a big issue for Xbox right now as they need a hit game, especially with everything going on with the merger being, you know, a big flop for them right now. I will be giving redfall a try anyway this weekend on on twitch so stop by and see how it runs but reviews haven't been you know all that pretty for this title even you know phil spencer going out as far to apologize for the game's release and blaming it on himself for pushing out a game that just wasn't ready for those that don't want to pay the hefty $70 price tag, the game is available on Game Pass, which, hey, since it's a multiplayer experience, you may want to try it with your friends. And if they don't have Game Pass, but you do, they may be in luck as you can give them a code now for a 14-day free trial. It seems subscriptions have slowed down for Game Pass, and Microsoft's now attempt and Microsoft is now attempting to draw more players in by utilizing your friend group. Each person with a current Game Pass subscription will be able to give five friends a 14-day trial. But with nothing big coming out other than Redfall, I don't know if that's going to be enough to keep them hooked. Um, right now, the next big title is going to be Starfield, which we're supposed to be getting a big presentation on during June. I can't imagine what would happen to Xbox's sales if Starfield if Starfield was a dud as well, especially after not having too much to show for for this console generation. But we will definitely be watching that live together on June 11th, so make sure to follow us on Twitch today to catch our live reactions and gameplay streams. But with that said, let's move on to some wrestling. that time again let's go ahead and ignite the dynamite and jump into our weekly recap well starting off this week we had adam cole roderick strong bandito and the AEW international champion orange cassidy defeating jas so while i haven't necessarily been a fan of the storyline i thought this was a really good opener um I was super excited for Roderick Strong. He got a great reaction from the crowd. They're chanting for him as, you know, he's yes. coming down the ramp. Um, I'm glad that, you know, it seems like he's not going to just be kind of featured as like Adam Cole's like flunky, you know, here. Um, you know, they mm. were bringing back all of his like ROH monikers and everything, um, which I thought was fantastic. I thought everyone was really showcased well. Um, especially Bandito. They're really like leaning into the strength aspect of his arsenal, um, which, you know, I think makes him stand out, especially with the huge influx of, you know, different Lucha talent that they've gotten over the past like couple months. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, I'm glad that he's just being featured again, too. I guess he was having some kind of like work visa issues. So that's why he's been off AEW TV for a while. Uh. Um, once again, something I wish they would mention on air so it doesn't just seem like, you know, neglect by, you know, the booking committee. 
But I, I think I have to say, like, my favorite part of this match is actually what happened afterwards. Um, you know, AEW lately has been kind of, you know, falling into the whole, like, invisible wall trope that WWE does so often. Um, it wasn't something that the company did a lot of, like, you know, the first couple of years. So I was super happy to see Adam Cole, like, say, fuck it and just book it towards Jericho once the uh -huh. bell rung, you know, and just, you know, demolish him and wipe him out at the uh, commentator table. Um, and just, you know, seeing that, like, carry out, you know, through the backstage and, you know, Britt kind of getting her revenge on Jericho. Um, I don't know. I just thought it really kind of enhanced this storyline for me overall, which was a storyline, like I said in the beginning, that I wasn't, you know, that into um, from the start. I was honestly afraid that Jericho was going to hit her in that moment when she was in the back. I thought they might like JS was going to attack her out of nowhere. Yeah, I don't think they would go there. I think if anything happens physically to Brit, they would use the outcast again or Anna J and uh -huh. Taikanti. I mean, AEW has been smart about not doing like intergender violence. Um, even though they had all that weird controversy over her fucking uh, the the Britt Baker uh, black eye shirt this week, you know, but mm. that was just Twitter trolls, you know, Twitter trolling. Honestly, I was like, if this was a man with a black eye on a shirt, no one would say anything. And this isn't like a shirt that's promoting like a domestic violence, you know, storyline. Like this isn't a storyline where like Adam Cole like beat Brit or something like that. This is a black eye uh -huh. that happened during a wrestling angle. So give me a fucking break, people. It's just sexist bullshit. I did like Jericho yes. wearing it, though. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Basically giving the middle finger to all the Twitter trolls. After this, we had a backstage moment where Renee kind of asked, will Jack Perry and Darby Allen be able to work together uh, after you know them saying that they don't like each other? Uh, the two of them pretty much say, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do our best. But, you know, there's still tension there. Yeah. Um, it's felt a little redundant after the last couple uh -huh. weeks. But it is what it is. It feels like they're trying to kind of salvage the storyline. Um, they've really done no favors for, you know, Jack and Darby, honestly, with this angle. Um, I I really feel like it's been like a step backwards for both of them. Um, they definitely like destroyed the mystique around Darby, you know, in my eyes. I mean, just listen to the character bitch week after week um, about, you know, he, you know, his status in the company just feels beneath him honestly um you know darby before this just felt like a character who you know wanted to wrestle and that was it like he didn't really care or give a shit about you know his placement on the card so i don't know i don't know and like jack just feels kind of lesser than everyone honestly so, I mean, it the angle was off to a hot start and, you know, unfortunately due to just bad writing and, you know, some bad choices, they kind of downgraded everything. Um, the last couple of weeks, it feels like they're trying to recoup their losses and, you know, for the most part, they've kind of done that. But I just felt like this segment wasn't needed. Again, I don't have any problems with MJF and Sammy. It's just been these two that have, you know, just... They just don't seem to work well together. Yes. No, I agree 100%. You know, you have two guys who are kind of shaky on the mic, you yeah. know, going back and forth. So, I mean, 
I don't know. I don't get it. And like, I think honestly, a big part of the problem is they didn't do a great job of pushing these three before getting into this storyline with MJF. Like, if it was a case of like these guys all being like white hot, you know, where you could actually start questioning whether or not they could possibly win this belt at double or nothing, that'd be a different story. But none of them had any real buzz, right? Like, Sammy was just kind of stuck in the middle of all the JAS bullshit. And, yeah. like, Jungle Boy was just getting out of a feud with Christian Cage that went on for way too long. And Darby's just been kind of hanging out with Sting in the rafters. Like, they all had really not a lot going on for themselves. Like, if it was something where they're all coming out of, like, huge feuds and everything, and, you know, they had a lot of buzz surrounding them, that'd be one thing. I mean, if anything, I feel like them getting this title shot has kind of, like, downgraded MJF as a champion, because it feels like they're just not worthy. And it's just kind of highlighted the fact that, like, most of the pillars aren't ready yet for the main event scene. After this, we had a moment in the back area where Blackpool Combat Club were kind of talking about how they are forgers of the future um, and how the elite haven't really been doing their part to, you know, bring in new talent and create a better AEW. I just love the dynamic between heel Brian and heel Moxley um, mm -hmm. and just everything that's happening right now with the Blackpool Combat Club. Um, this is by far my favorite thing on Dynamite. Um, their last two promos have been fantastic. Um, I think the one that happened last week was like a social media, um, you know, only oh, okay. I must promo, um, which I feel like they need to feature on one of the shows. Like, I don't know if it aired on Rampage or not, but if if not, it's it's definitely a missed opportunity. Um, it had Moxley licking the blood off of his fist, uh, you know, to catch his blood off of his fist as uh brian ranted and raved about how like uh Takesha broke his heart moxley had a great line you know saying the blood tastes like amateur and in my opinion like this week's promo was just as good uh like i love the fact that even though they're you know heels in action like their mission statement hasn't changed they're all mm -hmm. about forging the future of AEW. And by guess, like storyline wise, that's why they use Bret Hart, you know, in his catchphrase of, you know, the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. Um, but at the same time, as a wrestling fan, you know, I got that, you know, that that angle alert tingle. You know, <laughs> uh -huh. you know we do have the Owen Cup coming up. So um, I could see Brian entering that. Um, you know, I could see maybe a Bret Hart ringside, you know, during the tournament and maybe a slap in the face or something like that, or him hooking mm. the sharpshooter on him or <laughs> I don't know. Also, I mean, you have like the biggest Bret Hart fan of the world returning to the company soon and CM Punk, you know, and his buddies FTR, you know. So, I mean, maybe after, you know, everything happens with the elite, you know, maybe they move on to a feud with, you know, Punk and his friends. I can see that happening. I feel like that's just kind of my, you know, reaction to whenever I hear a wrestler on AEW bringing up that they're the best in the world. I'm like, oh, are you setting up a program with Punk in the future? Well, <laughs> and the fact, too, that he brought up that he's not arrogant enough to think that he'll be the best ever. Like, I mean, the whole point of the black uh -huh. combat club is, you know, getting the next generation ready. And just the fact that, you know, even though 
he quote unquote loves Yuta, but he still calls him a little shit at the same time. Yes. <laughs> it's just chef's kiss. I love that. Like, I mean, that needs to be a shirt. Like, <laughs> he just needs a shirt shirt that says little shit on it and you know little shit you it would just sell it. units <laughs> god damn it units christian after this we had soraya defeat willow nightingale i think overall this was a solid match i think soraya's really been knocking off a lot of the ring rust you know that she rightfully has after you know being out mm-hmm. of action for years at this point um and I'm glad that at the end of this match, we finally had progression in the Outcast storyline. Uh, yes, we had finally. the return of Sheeta. Um, she honestly swerved me. Uh, it looked like she was going to be joining the Outcast. And the last time we saw her, she was this weird, uneasy alliance with them. Uh, but then for her to turn around and attack them and, you know, take her rightful place next to Baker and Hater as an AEW original, I thought was just perfect. Um, I just, I, I'm curious to see where the storyline goes from here. I just don't want any more, like, grab a name out of the bowl, you know, you know, match for match sake, you know, type booking from this storyline. Like, let's have a different chapter every week to keep this story's momentum headed into the pay-per-view. Um, I don't know if we're going to get a multi-tag match of some sort. I don't know if we're headed towards, you know, a Blood and Guts type situation. But Blood and Guts is usually typically on TV. Um, but, I mean, I'm just glad that we're headed somewhere. And now the outcasts are e- even more outnumbered. So they, they probably have to bring someone in for them. Fingers crossed. I, I really hope that they introduce Athena into their group. Because she's just yes. killing it on ROH TV. And she's got the perfect attitude. And, and she honestly makes sense for the group, you know, being a former WWE talent. So, um, you know, she's wrestling right now with a chip on her shoulder. So why not have her join? Um, you know, she's honestly like one of my favorite parts of the women's division right now. And she's never really featured on AEW TV. I would love to see a fucking banger of a match against her and uh, Jamie Hayter. Um, I just can't imagine how hard hitting like that would actually be. <laughs> Those two women would just kill each other in the middle of the ring. And I'll love every second of it. After this, we got an announcement from the House of Black. Since they are having a battle royal for, you know, who will be going up against them. Um, they mentioned that whoever does go against them will be forced to fight in a house rules match where there are 20 second count outs. No rope breaks and DQs will be enforced. Yeah, so this was a little confusing and weird. Uh, they came out and said that the, the trio's titles were corrupted and they actually threw them down and then they were holding different belts. I don't know if you noticed that. Um, and someone actually, like, of course, because it's the internet, uh, you know, panned in a little and you could see that the plates on the belts were the House of Black logo, um, you know, the, the oh, side okay. plates at least. Um, but they introduced this open house challenge and they said that any three competitors can team up. So it doesn't have to be like a pre-existing team for a title shot. So it sounds like an open challenge type deal. Um, so it wasn't just, you know, who won the battle Royal. Actually that battle Royal wasn't like, it didn't have a stip attached to it. Like saying that they would be the number one contenders. Now I feel like it's just a given that who won that would end up getting a title mm-hmm. shot, but that was not an actual stipulation. I think it's just a lot of people assuming that, which should be a, a safe assumption. 
Um, yeah. But yeah, so there's no uh, rope breaks, which I'm totally cool with. It makes sense for like, you know, the House of Black's brutal style. And there's a 20 second count out, um, which, you know, is longer than your typical 10. So it just guarantees more, you know, outside brawling. But I mean, let's be serious. It's AEW. I mean, how many times has anyone actually been counted out besides Jungle Boy <laughs> no. like a couple weeks back? <laughs> but that was the first no, time it... in forever. So, um, and you know, what confused me was the fact that they said DQs will be enforced, enforced. but yeah. it's like dealer's choice, they said. So I don't know if that means like they'll get like, it, they'll get their, like the the people who are going for the title will get their own stipulation. I, hmm. it was weird. Um, they and the commentators didn't help the situation. Like I was expecting Taz or Excalibur to kind of fully explain what all this meant. Um, but yeah, I, I was a little confused. So hopefully like next week we get some like clarification. Yeah. All they said was like, Oh, well now whoever, you know, gets closer to the titles will have to contemplate if they want to deal with that. I was like, uh, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just want more house of black on TV. So uh-huh. I'm fine. Like whatever, you know, they need to do to get them, you know, screen time, good, whatever. Um, and if it is like an open, you know, title shot situation, that probably means they'll be featured more. So I don't know, because they mm-hmm. really like we haven't seen them in a while. You know, we had Buddy Murphy go up against Orange Cassidy and Julie Hart has been featured on Dark, but I mean, the last time we have seen like all three of them together has been a has been a little bit. So, and I I know Malachi Black has been dealing with a lot of like injury issues. Um, so I don't know if you know that was you know maybe one of the reasons why he hasn't been on the screen for a little bit. And I know in the past too, like Buddy Murphy's done, you know, has dealt with like visa issues. So yeah. I mean, there's so many different reasons. I just wish sometimes AEW once again, not to beat a dead horse, inform us on exactly what the hell's going on. Even if it's not storyline wise, you know, if they just kind of, you know, leak it to like the wrestling media so people understand why they're not out there. Because once again, it just makes the company look bad, you know, but if like, you know, Black's dealing with some kind of injury or they're trying to give him time off or, you know, but he's stuck, you know, in his home country, then it is what it is. Um, but let us know. But speaking of the trios, we then had the 18 man battle royal, uh, which had the acclaimed and Billy Gunn win the Tristan Mayo trios battle royal. Sure. Um, I think this is pretty predictable, honestly, like looking at all the teams, the acclaimed mm-hmm. are still incredibly hot. Um, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see the dynamic between the acclaimed and the House of Black. Um, I actually think it'll be kind of fun. Well, it'll either be really good mm-hmm. or they won't work well at all. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Um, I just hope that they protect uh, the house from you know Max Castor a little here. Um, <laughs> you can't have him like get on the mic and completely like demystify you know the group so and if he does go too far they need to just completely like decimate him so um 
But yeah, no, I, I'm looking forward to this overall, though. After this, we had Renee backstage with Sammy and MJF. The two of them pretty much, you know, reaffirm that they're still friends and they're going to work this out, uh, even though there's, you know, plenty of signs that, you know, MJF is going to turn on him at any moment. Well, yeah, and Sammy, I'm glad that Sammy called out MJF here and he mentioned the fact that last week, you know, one, he actually watches the show. And that last week, uh-huh. <laughs> MJF had plenty of room in his car and, you know, still snubbed Sammy. So um, I'm glad that they're not treating the wrestlers and, you know, the audience as idiots here. Um, I love the dynamic between Sammy and MJF. And I do hope that eventually we we do see like an actual like team up, a real team up between the two because mm. they just play so well off of each other. Um, obviously that's not going to happen here, but like it was to the point where I was actually kind of disappointed that I knew that this was all coming to an end. So, um, who knows, like maybe somewhere down the line that they'll be in a faction together or something, um, because this, this has been a lot of fun and probably the best part of the pillar storyline, honestly. It reminded me a lot of the, like the funnier moments from rated RKO working together. Like just, I could see them being that kind of, you know, heel team but then this was followed up with kenny omega and don callison backstage talking about john moxley and their planned steel cage match this definitely has a big fight feel i'm looking forward to it um i thought this promo really sold the seriousness of the situation unlike uh last or no two weeks ago's promo like i believed what kenny was saying here um, and it was all due to his delivery. Like, he wasn't, like, hamming mm. up. Um, and I thought Don Callis did a great job, too. Um, like, you know, everything he said about looking in the mirror every day and thinking about John Moxley when he sees the scar on his forehead. And it's quite the fucking scar, by the way. Yeah, it's um, huge. I don't know. Like, it, it just got me really excited for this match next week. I mean, anytime Moxley and Omega face off, it's a big deal in my book. I do feel like this match is leading to the next chapter in this storyline. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't get another twist here, whether it's like the return of Hangman Page. Um, I could even see a scenario where Callus turns on Omega um you know along with like Takeshita honestly I mean the one thing the Blackpool Combat Club has always said is that you know like to join their ranks you know they need to bleed with you and now both Takeshita and you know Callus has has actually done that and it feels like storyline wise like to get Hangman you know back on the same page as the elite especially Kenny something drastic needs to go down and happen which I could see a betrayal from Callus actually being like the perfect trigger for that. With them having a cage match, I feel like this will probably be your road to, you know, blood and guts. Because then you have like, well, all of our guys want to be in this now. Let's put us all I in see, this cage. I don't think so. I think they're going to do anarchy in the arena first before they get hmm. to blood and guts. Because once again, blood and guts is typically a TV feature. So I feel yeah. like, you know, we've got the pay-per-view two weeks away they're not going to do blood and guts before the pay-per-view they'll probably do it after anarchy yeah, after, in the mm-hmm. arena since that's kind of the route they went with um was it kingston in the blackpool combat club versus uh, jas yeah. uh, last year 
So, like, we'll, you know, have the big Anarchy in the Arena match or, you know, some kind of huge, you know, faction versus faction, you know, match. Um, and then after that, you know, we'll get a couple more, like, weeks of build up towards, you know, Blood and Guts. And maybe that's where we'll get, you know, our first ever, like, women's Blood and Guts match also, you know, between the Outcasts and, you know, the AEW Originals. After this, we had a quick squash match for Wardlow. Uh, he defeated Logan LaRue, who kind of, like, seemed to know in the ring he, he was about to get destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> I was fine with this as Martin. I was completely fine with this. Like, I feel like, you know, he Wardlow needs to be on screen every week. Um, and he mm-hmm. needs to be reminding fans of like the dominant beast that he really is, because I feel like with all this like stop and go booking that has been happening with him of late, um, you know, he's really lost momentum. So to me, this is like the quickest way to get back to square one for Wardlow. Um, I don't know if he'll get him as white hot as he was, you know, last year when he was, you know, in that feud with MJF, but it's a start at least. Um, after that moment, though, we had um, Christian Cage come out with Luchasaurus. Um, and I'm curious what your thoughts on this were, but uh, it seems that Christian Cage will be the one going after the title. Christian, as you know, I'm a huge Christian Cage fan and... I haven't mm-hmm. been sold on Luchasaurus, even with the new scary mask and shoulder pads. So I'm fine with this. Um, I feel like this is just all head games for Christian, though. Um, I feel like, you know, they'll probably have their match and it will lead to an eventual Luchasaurus versus Wardlow match down the line. Gotcha. Because, yeah, I thought I felt like the whole point was to build up Luchasaurus no, now. It's, if Christian but... is involved <laughs> as a character, like... He's never really going to ever be looking out for anyone but himself. So, uh-huh. I mean, I'm not surprised. I, I, I'm i not surprised at all. I'm just actually kind of just surprised that it wasn't like Luchasaurus first going up against Wardlow, maybe losing, and then Christian Cage stepping in and trying to, like, pick up the scraps. Or maybe even have, like, Luchasaurus win the title just to lay down in the ring for Christian Cage to take I, it away from I him. hate storylines like that, and I hope uh-huh. AEW is better than that. I really do. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's something Christian Cage as a character would definitely try, but uh-huh. like, I was happy with all the fucking gaga surrounding the Four Pillars match that storyline-wise, they had Tony Khan step in and say, no, that's not how this is going to work. So I'm guessing, you know, he wouldn't allow someone to just hand over a title. Um, like that so um but yeah no because that would definitely be some serious like you know dying days of wcw booking or you know even like uh-huh. mid-run uh tna you know bullshit or hell you know wwe having you know their champions just trade belts when they get drafted to different brands yeah <laughs> i still fucking hate that and i think it's about to happen again did we did we find out where Rhea went is she on the opposite show now or no? Rhea's on Raw with uh, Judgment Day. Yeah, Rhea's on Raw, and and uh, Bianca's on SmackDown. Okay, so they are going to have to swap titles. I, you know, the rumor is is they might actually do the smart thing and just change the name of the titles. You know, okay. like just have a women's title or a WWE World Championship and a Universal Women's Championship. Like that would be the smartest thing and just solve this problem. You know, outright, but. 
you know, we're assuming that Vince is going to do something, you know, intelligent, which isn't a safe assumption <laughs> nowadays. I mean, this will be the test to see, like, how much in control Hunter really is, because I, I can't imagine him thinking, like, that's a good idea. Well, speaking of good ideas, we went over to the Briscoe farm uh, where Jay Lethal, Sanjay Dutt and uh, Jeff Jarrett went to go work alongside uh, Satnam Singh uh, to help out Mark Briscoe in, in hopes to get some information on how to beat FTR. Chris, I'm not going to lie. I loved every second of this. Um, <laughs> this just had like Jeff Jarrett's handwriting all over it, but it just was so ridiculous and fun that uh -huh. I mean, come on now. <laughs> what's not to love um i think it also showcases briscoe's personality a lot um mm -hmm. just seeing him interact with <laughs> jeff and them as they you know are wearing overalls and you know the fact that he just put them right to work without any question <laughs> um i don't know it, this was just fun i mean I, am i a big fan of you know lethal and Jarrett getting the first title shot against ftr no, but I guess it's a necessary evil here, so it is what it is. I was expecting uh, FTR to show up, not Papa Briscoe for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why that I would think be of hilarious, that. though. Like if they're in the chicken coop or something like that, and they surprise them by uh -huh. like smashing eggs over their heads, that could have worked too. Um, after this, we had Ricky Starks defeating Juice Robinson, and I don't know if you noticed, David, but it seems that even commentary has now switched to calling uh, Ricky Starks just Ricky instead of Starks <laughs> like they used to. Ricky! <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> so I thought this match was fine. I didn't understand why Jay White decided not to be ringside with Juice, yeah. unless it was just simply because he didn't want Juice to actually win the match. Um, you know, like he wanted the victory saved for himself and really Juice was just there to kind of soften up Ricky, you know, unbeknownst to, you know, Juice himself. Um, I just really feel like the storyline needs like, uh, you know, a back and forth promo from Ricky and, you know, Jay. Um, because honestly, like I, I'm still not even completely sure what the motives or the issue is between these two. Yeah. So I just need to be sold, you know, on this match a little more, which is obviously going to end up happening at Double or Nothing. So, I mean, it should be an excellent match, but, like, why is it happening? You know, why did Jay choose <laughs> to go after, you know, Starks in the first place? So, um, I don't know. I don't know. They, they still have some work to do. I'm also still waiting for them to start trying to recruit other people. I don't know if it's like they don't want it to seem too much like the uh, like the combat club. But yeah, it, it feels weird having the announcers talk about, you know, a big numbers game when it's just two of them yeah. and no one else of the Bullet Club there. I still feel like Mark. I still feel like Action Andrade is going to show up and, you know, fake side with Ricky and then turn his back on on him. Like we haven't seen, we Maybe haven't seen choice. action in a while. The dude mm -hmm. is just not a baby face. Like he's a natural heel. Um, and it would be something to do with him right now. And, you know, kind of like help fill out the numbers for, you know, bullet club gold, uh, which I'm still not sold on that name, but it is what it is. <laughs> it's better than what were they calling themselves? The bang, bang brothers. Uh, yeah. The bang, bang something brothers. Like that. Yes. Yeah, that, that's, that's awful. Uh. So. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't say that anymore. No, no, I'm sorry. It was the Bang Bang Gang. 
Oh, yes. Because uh, calling them the Bang Brothers would be even yeah. worse. So <laughs> You're not wrong. Um, after that, we had a quick video package uh, about, you know, the firm deletion match that's going to happen on Rampage, which I, I'm definitely going to have to watch Rampage uh, to see. I want to know what's going to happen yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, it should be entertaining. I mean, this... This whole uh-huh. storyline has been pretty, like, inoffensive, honestly. Um, and for the little time that it does take up on Dynamite, it's fine. You know, some people are outraged by this. I could give a shit. I love Ethan mm-hmm. Page. Um, I'm wondering if this is really going to lead to the breakup of the firm. Um, because I, I just, I don't know. Like, it doesn't feel like they're a viable faction at this point. So, honestly, like, what's the point of them staying together? Um, And I I just want more for Ethan Page. Even if it's just, like, Ethan and Stokely kind of, like, spinning off into their own little thing and, like, leaving the rest of the group behind. I'm totally fine with that. Uh, Before our main event, we had Darby Allin and Jack Perry kind of like trying to get psyched up for the match. When Darby Allin went to go find his board, MJF came in and uh, tried to convince Jack Perry to kind of be a a secondary character uh, to him as champion. Yeah, but (laughs) honestly, like this felt more of, you know, trying to sow distrust between Jack and Darby, you know, Uh because there's no way... You know, MJF being the intelligent heel that he is, even as arrogant as he is, there's no way that he would think that the best approach would be by telling Jack Perry that, you know, he just doesn't see him as main event material, you know, and that he could, you know, carry his bag for him. So I think this Mm -hmm. is more about like having Darby walk in on them to kind of, you know, cause that distrust between the two or further that distrust between the two. So it is what it is. I, I mean, I really didn't need this segment, honestly. Um, they could have just no. gone straight into the match, uh, which I actually quite enjoyed. But again, I, I do agree that, you know, I need a little bit less talking from Darby Allen. Like him just bumping into MJF should have been enough. I didn't need him like being like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this myself. I mean, you, like I like I want him to be comfortable on the mic. Don't get me wrong. And the more reps he gets, uh-huh. the better. But at the same time, this just isn't it. You know, this isn't the right storyline, you know, for him. So, and it's, I think it's hurting his character. So, you know, less is more when it comes to Darby. But yeah, we had the tag match for the Four Pillars, you know, decision on if it's going to be a a Fatal 4-Way at the pay-per-view or if it's just going to be Sammy and MJF. Of course, uh, Jack Perry and Darby Allin went over in this. Uh, The match did turn out a lot better than I thought it was going to be. I didn't like the concept of having the four of them in a match before the pay-per-view. But, you know, it's... It still uh, it was a good time between all of them because, you know, they're all talented on their own right. Yeah, I mean, it was nice to see MJF in the ring because we don't get that very much. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, I agree. You know, it feels a little anticlimactic to see all four of them, you know, facing off against each other before we get the four-way dance at the pay-per-view. Um, even though it's, yeah. you know, this was a tag match technically. Um, yeah. I was fine with it. I thought they did some really great storytelling. I really enjoyed the use of MJF's scarf. It was just so old school heel, and I thought it really worked well in the context of the match. Um, and I, I felt like it grounded everything, too, because um, you could tell that they were really holding back for the pay-per-view. Um, mm-hmm. This was very much more of a traditional, like, 
wrestling match than we would usually see in the main event of, you know, AEW Dynamite. Um, this didn't have all, you know, the big high spots and everything that you would typically see. This was much more akin to a match, the kind of match that MJF would work. And I think it would really help in the long run um, so they can, like, end up cutting loose at the pay-per-view. But I liked at the end of the day that, you know, both teams ended up having dissension, that everything just came to a head with MJF and Sammy, and Sammy just ended up not giving a shit anymore and just had enough of MJF uh, at the end of the day. Um, and that even, you know, with the victory, you know, from uh, Jungle Boy and Darby, that they're still not on the same page. Um, the mm -hmm. fact that Darby tagged himself in to hit the coffin drop before, you know, Jack could potentially get the pin. I mean, it, I think it was just the perfect ending for this match. I think originally I thought um, Sammy was going to save that turn till the pay-per-view, but I'm still fine that it happened here as well. Like, I just I figured, you know, oh, he'll come to his senses at the pay-per-view during the four way. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I'm glad that they did it here. Instead of like having that be a wrinkle in the match because it's just so predictable and you know mm. where it's headed. So I'd rather have just all four guys ready to go and just have them tear it apart because, you know, they're going to work hard to steal the show. Like, it's going to be a fantastic yeah. match. Um, I know I've been really like down on it, but that's more from a booking perspective, if that makes any sense. Um, I'm just not believing the rest of the pillars as, you know, viable you know, contenders for MJF's belt. It just feels like there's so many other worthy wrestlers on the roster right now. Like, I wouldn't be even surprised if this wasn't the main event. Um, it's going to be because traditionally, like, you know, AEW always has the world title defended at the main event, mm -hmm. I believe. Unless, well, actually, you know what? Technically, that's not true. I, I, I actually think the uh, Stadium Stampede was the main event. Oh, one, one year. year. Was yeah. it one year mm -hmm. or did they do it both years that they had it? I thought... It happened um, just during the okay. pandemic. Okay. okay. And that might have been just because of, like, production issues, I'm sure, since that was, like, mm -hmm. pre-recorded. Um, you know, unfortunately for me, instead of this, like, pay-per-view main event championship match, like, leveling up the rest of the pillars, um, I feel like it's just kind of, like, leveled down MJF's title reign, you know, uh, at this point. Um I mean, I'm sure in the long run, he'll be fine, like, once they move past the storyline. It's just right now, it feels like he's hanging out at the kids' table. It just feels like the rest of them aren't worthy yet of, you know, being in a title match against him. Um, and that's no fault of their own. That's just due to lackadaisical booking, you know, before this storyline. And, you know, kind of throughout the storyline, honestly. Like, they had a couple of hot weeks in the beginning, and then... I don't know. I don't know if it's just too much time um, and they just kind of were booking in circles and, you know, too much mic time. Like, once again, less is more, you know, especially when it comes to Jungle Boy and uh, Darby, um, you know, on the mic. But yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it'll be a great match. It's just I don't know. It doesn't feel like 
the storyline is like main event quality. Well, that does it for this week. As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, leave a five-star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by TheAmazingNerdShow.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some nerd show swag, you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd show swag as long as you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture and whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. I want to learn to ride this one. You what? I want to ride it.